Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. My guest is critically acclaimed poet and author Derek Annis. Derek is a neurodivergent poet from the inland northwest. It's beautiful. He is an editor for Lynx House Press and has published widely his own work in a number of well-known prestigious journals and reviews. He's the author of the book Neighborhood of Great Horses, Lost Horse Press, and his newest book, his newest collection, River City Fires, Driftwood Press. Everyone, let's welcome Derek Annis to the program. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me, Dr. Ingram. I'm uh, oh, happy to be here. So You were great. I, I'm glad you're with me, too. I already have, have a good vibe here, and we're going to have fun. But what good. I'd like to know first, as we begin this poetic journey, what is poetry? Well, I mean, that's a pretty big question. It's a difficult question to answer. Uh, and it's tempting to give, you know, a straightforward kind of technical definition, you know, something along the line of you know, uh, artistic manipulation of language uh, that's designated by its creator as poetry. Uh, so that's kind of a basic idea of what poetry is. But I think the question, what is poetry, uh, is more like, what is its function or what does poetry do? Um, and when I was thinking about this question, I came across mm -hmm. a couple of uh, definitions that um, were intriguing to me. So uh, Matthew Arnold defined poetry as a criticism of life. Uh, when Ezra Pound encountered that definition, he responded uh, by saying that poetry is as much a criticism of life as red hot iron is a criticism of fire. So Pound's response there doesn't offer a definition of poetry. Um, it makes a claim about what poetry is not, right? But it also highlights a relationship between poetry and life that I found interesting. Uh, in that response, he compares the relationship between life and poetry to the relationship between the red hot iron and the fire. Uh, I think poetry happens in the contact between the red hot iron and the fire, right? So just as heat from the fire is transferred to the iron, the emotional experience of the poet is transferred to the reader. I think most successful poems don't just elicit an emotional response or convey the details of an experience, but they take it a step further uh, and really transfer an emotional state from the poet to the reader. Uh, I also think that just like a, um, you know, red hot iron emerges from the fire glowing, uh, a reader will emerge from a good poem glowing uh, and hopefully a little softer than they were before they entered it. Fascinating. 
a red hot iron, and what's the mm-hmm. next part? Uh, and a fire. In a fire. So yeah, yeah. I was thinking that you know poetry happens in that transfer of heat from one thing to another, or the transfer of an experience from the poet to the reader. Wow. I've never heard it described like that. In all these all these years, I've never heard it described like that. So when you attempt to flesh out the red hot iron and the fire, what do you find inside? What is that connection? What happens in there? Break that down for us. Well, what do you think? I think the best way to explore that is to follow something other than an idea, right? So. Okay. Oftentimes, poets will start with an idea uh, or have something they want to say and then say it. I think that for me, a better approach is to follow some aspect of language and see where that takes me through the poem. And that might be exploring an event uh, or just following sound, right? But Mm -hmm. I think that the connections happen through the process of the writing. I am not setting out to uh, form some kind of connection, right? It it happens as a result of the writing. So uh, does that answer your question? I may have gotten a little sidetracked. (laughs) It does, it does. And I was wondering just here, okay, you've got the iron and the fire. What if I dropped an ice cube in between? What would happen? Well, it would make a whole lot of noise, I suppose, and, (laughs) you know, emit steam. It would be a pretty violent reaction. Uh, Mm -hmm. So in in this scenario, what does the uh, ice cube represent? All right, all right, all right. What does the ice cube represent? That's an excellent question. What if it represents my life, that it's, 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 it's been a chilly existence? Okay, so, um, we're talking about how your experiences um, interact with the with the work, right? Yes. So I think it it adds an entirely new uh, dimension to the work. You know, the relationship between the poem and the reader is going to be a very different relationship between the poet and the poem. All right. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> You're good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> so based on what you know about the world, Derek, is mm-hmm. poetry important? Is it important? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Uh, I think poetry is important for a lot of reasons. I don't think that poetry is going to stop, you know, wars from happening necessarily. Mm. But I do think that uh, it inspires empathy. We, you know, I just talked about how a well-written poem can transfer an emotional state from poet to reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also a description of empathy, right? When when one experiences empathy, they experience the emotional state of another person. Yes. Uh, so for for that reason, I think good poetry um, is one way that people can practice empathy. They can enhance their ability to experience empathy, uh, to understand it, and to express it. So, yeah, I do think poetry is important. You know, I've got the biggest smile on my face because you took me back 
to my years as a professor at Oregon State, who I traveled the country mm-hmm. discussing and delivering conference, delivering talks on the importance of empathy and poetry, the connection mm-hmm. between the two. So I'm a huge proponent of what empathy is and how we can use it in poetry. What yeah. I'd like you to do, well, thank you for that. You, you took me back to a really good time. Please share an early experience when you learned that poetic language had power. Derek? Derek's call dropped. So what we'll do (laughs) is continue this journey. I feel like a DJ. This is Holly's theme, everyone. Take a listen until Derek returns. Check this out. Hello, Derek. Derek? Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Derek? What I'm going to do, I'm going to call you, all right? So hang up. I'm going to call you right now. Derek, let's try again. Bear with us, please. It's only been a minute and 17 seconds. It seems like an eternity. Thank you. 
I can. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can. Welcome back Good. from the abyss. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, live podcasts are, <laughs> it's just hard to figure them out. So thank you. Yeah. Glad you came back. <laughs> All right. Oh, no worries. It, it took, took me a minute to figure out how to get back here, but yeah. All right. Not a problem. I'm glad you're back. That's the main thing. I'd ask the question for you to share with us an experience, an early experience, where you learned that poetic language had power. Oh, gosh. Um, well, I came to poetry pretty late. Uh, you know, I wasn't wasn't a writer growing up. Uh, I had trouble in school, you know, dropped out out of high school pretty early and didn't mm-hmm. start writing poetry until I was 25. Uh, wow. That that being said, the power of language um, really came to me through music. Uh, I've been really drawn to music my entire life. Um, and I think uh, one of the things I connected most with in music was the lyrics. Uh, so, you know, my earliest memories of that would be maybe seven or eight years old. I got really into uh, Michael Jackson and uh, Jim Croce, of all people. Oh, um, I remember you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right. But, you know, some some of those songs, uh, you know, particularly the language and lyrics uh, really spoke to me. Um, so I think that started my interest in language. Okay. All right. So what do you write about? <laughs> uh, I suppose, you know, broad themes, all kind of all the hits, uh, trauma, violence, loss, existential dread. Um, but then, you know, joy, Uh, birth and growth. I think a lot of my poems focus on parent-child relationships. Uh, Mm -hmm. At least those are featured heavily in my work, some with me as a child, uh, others with me as a parent. Um, So I would say those are the things I primarily write about. All right. You know, all great writers, and I'm including you in this category, have great, writing, have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? What makes them great in your eyes, Terry? Well, my biggest influences have been my poetry teachers. Okay. Um, you know, when I first went back to college when I was 25, I was coming off of, you know, I was homeless as an adolescent off and on. I you know, I had been going through a lot of struggles and I went back to college to kind of try to pick myself back up. Um, and my first creative writing class, I enrolled in because I thought it would be an easy 4.0, right? And I was just thinking I'll, I'll, I'll slide through this class, no problem, and get my GPA started on the right trajectory. Um, but I really just fell in love with poetry and that's because I had a really wonderful teacher uh, mm-hmm. by the name of Laura Reed, who has, you know, several collections out now. And um, I really enjoy her work, but, but she was the person who showed me what poetry is and what it can do um, and really sparked my interest. So, so she was a huge influence on me. Mm-hmm. 
An- another one of my major influences is uh, Christopher Howell, who was my thesis advisor. Um, and, you know, I just learned so much from him and developed, due to his instruction, um, the approach of instead of starting with ideas, discovering ideas through the process. Uh, so I think he, he really influenced me to go that direction with my work. Um, and I think, you know, it's been, it's been just so fulfilling to approach it that way. So I'm, I'm grateful to both of those poets. So what would you say is the most valuable piece of advice you've been given about writing poetry? If there's one negative uh, proof, uh, don't don't make sense. That it was. <laughs> I think. <laughs> don't 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 worry about whether or not you are conveying what you want to convey. Don't uh, you know worry about if it is making a statement or uh, you know don't excuse me. Don't worry about making sense worry about discovering what the poem means rather than trying to make it mean something. Wow. I like that. I like that. That's a nice one. I like that. Derek, please share a poem. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to start off with a poem from my book, Neighborhood of Gray Houses. And I'm starting here because I think it's a little more accessible, less weird, but we'll get weird later uh this uh this is the opening poem from the collection it's called compulsory i don't remember what it was losing a game or some form of hunger that made me pick up the hockey stick and chase the neighbor boy across the lawn whatever it was i wanted to kill him to pack his teeth tight against the back of his throat with that stick He was 10, I was 11, and I loved him. Together, over several summers, we sat beneath every tree in the forest, walked every inch of the river. We even tested the infamous French kiss. I let my tongue slip into the moist cave of his mouth and enjoyed it for a moment before rearing back at his stagnant taste, the popsicle sticking of his lips. Once, while hiking, we wandered too far. The sky went black and fell into the forest. We were off the trail. There were eyes and snipping twigs. Matt began to cry, so I swallowed hard, held his hand, lied about knowing the way home, and said all the wolves were sleeping. It was after 12 by the time we crossed the front lawn, found our parents sitting on the steps with bitten lips. Mine engulfed me in warm arms, carried me quietly up to bed. Matt's mother slapped him, dragged him in by a fistful of hair. What made me lead the scared boy home through the dark, down hard on his tender face? Thank you. Thank you. All right. You don't pull any punches, do you? I try not to. I think if and I start why, doing why that, is that? It, 
Tell me more well, about this. That's a very powerful poem. Talk to me. <laughs> uh, I, I think if you start sugarcoating things or pulling punches, it is, well, just by the nature of it, is less honest uh, and not as real. Um, okay. okay. And, and I want to provide an honest account, even in cases where I'm not providing facts, <laughs> if that makes okay. any sense. Tell me about the purpose of that piece. Uh, the purpose of that piece, I think it's hard to talk about the purpose of a poem, okay. but my impulse for writing it was this memory of, you know, chasing my friend with the hockey stick and hitting him with it and the kind of guilt, guilt that I felt about that. Um, and so that was, I suppose, the triggering event for writing that poem. And it just led me to explore the other aspects of my relationship with this childhood friend. Um, and, and then this idea of compulsory heterosexuality and masculinity started to emerge from the writing of this poem. Um, so that's really what I worked on dialing in through revision. Um, this poem exists as a response to maybe cultural expectations around uh, masculinity and, and sexuality. So when you were on that walk, that journey, what did you discover? Um, I, I discovered that a lot of the reasons for my difficulty expressing myself, uh, the reasons for some of my struggles with anger, um, and having a mm, not having a full sense of myself was due to those societal pressures to be masculine and to be heterosexual. I do understand. Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask the question, I guess I ask it. Does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? <laughs> Well, we're not going to have to get to the if not part. Um, yeah, it it does. It, it's a, I think it's a as painful a process as, you know, opening yourself up to a therapist or or anything else where you're examining aspects of your own life and personality and made you the person you are today. Um, I think really opening yourself up to examining those struggles is a painful process. You know, I'm thinking that with just that one poem, so much we were able, in my mind anyway, to tease out of it. And see, to me, that's important in terms of building empathy in a relationship between the author and the, and the person reading the poem. What can you tease out of it as you read it, as you listen to it? What comes to mind? Wow. You're great. You're great. <laughs> you're great. You're great. You're great. I like that. I like that. You got, I've got the biggest smile on my face, so thank you again. Are you there? <laughs> Hello? Derek? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm here again. I don't know why, why it keeps disconnecting me, but... <laughs> 
I said all those nice things. Oh, <laughs> and you didn't hear any of <laughs> I, I didn't. That's, that's a real shame. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, wish if you, if, if you decide to listen to this, you hear them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Your newest book, <laughs> River mm. City Fires. Tell me about yes. it. What inspired it? What inspired it? Uh, well, I don't think I can say that I was inspired to write this book. My, my okay. process is more, it's more write a lot of poems and find the ones that fit together somehow through either content or aesthetics or, um, you know, that just fit together somehow. So these, you know, this book was a long time in the making and, what it was mm-hmm. is I just identified a lot of different poems that, that fit um, both aesthetically and thematically. So, uh, but the, the, the book really is about, you know, being raised and living in this same town for my whole life. It's about the accumulation of different traumas through my experience of this city uh, and the way that different spaces in this city, I suppose, have um, multiple and sometimes contradictory meanings or uh, say contradictory things about my life. So um, I guess that's kind of what the book is about, if you can say it's about something. All right. How many poems are in the collection? Well, let's see. Mm-hmm. Twenty twenty-five or so. Uh, you know, it's a chapbook. It's about thirty-eight, forty pages long. All right, all right. So, when you were selecting the poems, how did you decide mm-hmm. what to include? Um, well, I looked for poems that had a similar tone, um, okay. and. I guess a similar mode of being. These are all lyric poems with pretty surreal elements, uh, and they don't—they're not the kinds of poems that relay facts, but mm-hmm. I hope that they will still uh, tell truths, right? Okay. So it's kind of an exploration of of trauma and loss through uh, surrealism. And, yeah, they don't necessarily contain facts, but I hope they uh, tell the truth of my life. So what is the way in which you organize the poem? So were they arranged by theme, style, content? How did you go about that? Uh, I think they started to develop their own chronology. Uh, okay. So I, I selected all these poems with, you know, a similar approach, similar imagery and similar tone and then it seemed as though they developed their own chronological order um very nice yeah all right please share another poem all right since we're talking about river city fires i will go ahead and read the opening poem from that this is manifest The fathers forced open the mouth of the forest, 
made it shout a city across the valley. An orchestra of sparks and shining steel frightened the sky, which waited for nightfall and snuck to the hills. Great storms of birds flew into the fields reflected on picture windows, clapped against the asphalt with bone-pierced throats. The people of the city took up shovels, went back to the forest and extracted a wealth of symbols, which they organized according to brightness. The symbols were cold. For fear of the dark, the city kept its eyes open at all times. The dark receded into the trees. The orchestra played through the night. Thank you. Wow. Are writing poems building a wall or letting the wall down? Uh, unquestionably, 100% uh, letting it down. Um, Talk to me. Tell me more. Tell I, me more. I, yeah, I don't even mean writing about difficult personal experiences. I mostly just mean the act of writing a poem to begin with. You know, okay. like I, like I said, I didn't start reading or writing poetry until I was 25, really. I had yes. maybe written a few things before that. You know, I came up as a, a gutter punk. I had been homeless off and on uh, through my teens and early 20s and, you know, survived by selling drugs and, you know, being part of those subcultures, mm-hmm. I had to learn to appear tough, you know, just keep myself safe. Like, I don't think I'm tough. I don't think I ever was, but I learned to project it, right? right. Uh, and to hide any hint of vulnerability. Yes. So for a long time after I started writing, I hid it from my friends. You know, I was excited about it or even obsessed with it. Uh, in my poetry classes, but I didn't feel like I could tell many of the people in my life. Uh, I just didn't feel comfortable opening up like that. Yes. Um, but, but after a while I became more comfortable with that vulnerability that it takes to write and share poems. Uh, poetry helped me access myself and it gave me permission um, to express feelings other than anger. Right. Uh, Which is I had been in a state of anger for as long as I could remember. So I think poetry uh, broke through that anger and helped me deconstruct it and really uh, know myself better, uh, as well as um, inviting other people to know me. Wow. Please share another poem. Okay, let's see. I'll go back to Neighborhood of Gray Houses for this one. And I'll read Breach on the side of the highway with a box of teeth in her left hand, the keys to the red convertible against which she was leaning in her right. She asked which I would like to have, But being so small and having eaten so much sand, I was ill prepared to answer. She held out the box of teeth and told me to watch them for her. Then she turned, got into the red convertible, laid rubber on the road, and revved off the edge of the earth. I've been waiting here by the highway, and I have tried to care for the teeth. But now and again the crows come, steal one while I sleep. 
Thank you. What do you think, Derek, makes your poetic voice different from others? And I, I guess they're all different, but what's one thing that you feel makes your work stand out? Um, I think that, well, there are other poets who do this very well and, and even, yes. you know, obviously better than I do. But I think uh, racing anger and writing through it rather than turning away from it or ignoring it. Um, and being able to, I guess, depict trauma and uh, violence in a in a straightforward um, way that just doesn't doesn't shy away from those topics. Uh, Please tell me about a poem you were proud of writing but were afraid to share due to fear of possible misinterpretation. Okay. Hmm. I was proud of writing, but afraid to share. Well, I think uh, a really good example of that would be the first poem I read, Compulsory. Okay. All right. Uh, and the, the reason for that fear uh, was that it, mentions a you know uh kiss between two boys uh which mm. is i i came up in a culture that was pretty homophobic i came up in a in a time when the united states was much more homophobic than it is now uh yes. and there wasn't room for um for that in my friend group so I would have been very afraid to share that poem when I first wrote it. All right, then I understand. The title of your book is quite interesting. What's the story behind it? Uh, Neighborhood of Grey Houses or River City Fires? Uh, River City Fires as well as the other, the first one. Either, okay. either one, both, both actually. Yeah. The beautiful poems are right, both. So, <laughs> Neighborhood of Grey Houses. The call dropped again. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a rocky night. <laughs> Hopefully you'll come back. <laughs> this is Lost Civilization. He is back. <laughs> Derek, can you hear me? Yes, you can hear me. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I don't know why that why that keeps happening. Happening. I, I even. I don't know either. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gonna be a rocky night. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're together, man. We're together. I got your back. Yeah. You got my back. We're gonna be all right. We're gonna be all right. <laughs> Do you remember the question that I <laughs> I asked you something, well, but I can't remember what you were. It, it, it was about the title of my book and where where that yes, comes from. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, sir. 
neighbor, neighborhood of gray houses, I guess, is kind of an emotional landscape. Uh, and it's a place I wind up in when I'm grieving or going through some hardship or my, you know, world is kind of falling apart. Um, All right. Then. So, yeah. And then, and then river city fires, uh, you know, the city I live in Spokane, Washington is referred to as the river city. We have a big mm-hmm. waterfall in the center of our town. Uh, so it's a reference to where I grew up, but I think it works as a title because it can also just be three different things, you know, river city and fires. Um, and you know, the fires refer to, we have a smoke season in Spokane now where wildfire smoke, uh, forces us indoors for sometimes weeks at a time. Uh, you know, the river is at the heart of this city and it's the city where I grew up. So, um, all of those things are are present in the collection. Hmm. Please share with me, <clears throat> excuse me, in River City Fires, mm-hmm. the titles of five poems, any five poems. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, skin, potato salad, <laughs> still life with razor blades. Wow. Mm-hmm. See, uh, Independence Day, Holy City. I think that was five. All right. <laughs> of course, a couple of them uh, we couldn't hear because they were garbled. But that's okay. That's oh. okay. Okay. <laughs> the, the point of my question is, or what that my statement is, what role should a title play in a poem? What's the role of the title? Well, uh I think a title can do a lot of different things. Uh, it's most frequent function, I think, is to either provide clarity uh, about something that happens in the poem or to add uh, mystery to the poem, make the reader think about it, right? So, so I think those two functions are most common for a poem. Okay, right. Hmm. So with the second book, River City Fires, do you believe or think or know were some of the key challenges you faced when writing this particular book? It's a very powerful, from what I've heard so far, it's very, very powerful. I appreciate that. Uh, I think the biggest challenge, I think the biggest challenge is always figuring out which things I think should be included, but don't quite fit in the collection. Right. right. Um, The, the, the process of writing a book for me seems kind of passive. Uh, Like I said before, I'm not writing with the intention of completing a book. I'm just writing poems. And then maybe I have enough poems that are similar that I can put together. Right. Um, so the biggest challenge is figuring out how to put them together and what not to include that I think ought to be, that I originally thought should be included. Here's a question for you. And I ask this every mm-hmm. time I talk with someone in this life we live in and based on what you've shared so far, that there's good, there's bad, there's ugly as well as indifference. What do you view as being the role of a poet, Derek, 
in modern day society. Uh, I think the role of the poet is to enhance uh, connections, like mm-hmm. you know, connections between people, connections between ideas, uh, connections between communities. I think I think our role is to find those points of connection where we wouldn't have otherwise thought to look. Mm. Mm. Now, in terms of your poetry in the second book, River City Fires, the pieces mm-hmm. that you've read so far were pretty gritty, and that's my word. That's the word that I'm using, gritty, mm-hmm. not in a negative yeah. way. Do you ever no, write about it, yeah. flowers and trees and stuff like that, or is this primarily what's happening in the world, in your world? Well, yeah, I definitely have some well if you want to hear an example all right yeah it'd be nice yes all right so (laughs) it's not all flowers and sunshine (laughs) but uh all right (laughs) this is the closing poem from from neighborhood of gray houses uh contentedness and it's in sections so uh one One summer evening, while I walked to the store through a warm floral breeze, I watched a finch bathe in the cool water of a stone bath, eat a few seeds and rise before an osprey shredded it to a snowfall of feathers on the sidewalk. For three weeks after her birth, my daughter slept in a clear plastic bin. When they removed the tubes from her throat, she breathed on her own. Now she dances in the living room, tries to cuddle with the cats, stands to slide a chair across the hardwood. Now she knows my name. Three. It's been over a year since I lost someone. I live in a little yellow house on the corner of a quiet block with trees along every sidewalk. Light comes through my windows. Each morning I eat, wave goodbye to my wife and daughter as I leave for work. Walk quickly beneath the trees to the bus stop. Watch little birds hop back and forth between branches. Thank you. Uh, so that's about as flowery as I get. Um, All right. Well, the the reason for that question was not just a strange kind of question. Some people believe, some poets believe that because we live in this world, we should only write about the issues in this world, the, the current day affairs, those kinds of things, where others believe we should have the right to write about whatever it is we want to write about, if it's flowers or trees, and that's okay. And I was just mm-hmm. wondering – Based on what you've shared, do you feel that you need to write about the, quote, greediness of your life? No, I don't think uh, you need to feel compelled to write about any specific thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. I do think that if you're writing honestly and exploring your world through the act of writing, and if it's an act of discovery for you, um, then the grittiness of the world will make it into your poems. Um, so, so I don't think, I don't think you have to choose one thing or the other. I think if you're writing honestly and exploring the work that those things will make their way in. Mm. 
you know, the word gritty is one that I'm going to, I don't know, focus on because I view my own work as being gritty in a sense. Mm -hmm. I'm a spoken word poet, and I talk yeah. about the truth that I know. And uh, yeah. it's not always easy to hear. Mm -hmm. So it is gritty. I like I like that word. I like that word. I'm gonna look it up again. Wow. Yeah. Please <laughs> please share another poem, my friend. I enjoy listening to you. Okay. Uh I'll do another one from River City Fires here. Uh oh. Uh potato salad. <clears throat> <laughs> Growing up, the best part of the summer was the family picnic in the public park. And the best part of the family picnic was the appearance of Uncle Frank, who chewed the wet butts of cheap cigars and wore prosthetic earlobes where his eyelids used to be. Each year, he let us kids pick our favorite dried leaf from his breast. There were many leaves. The selection process took many hours. Since I was the luckiest of the kids, I always picked the leaf with the most ticks. The others scowled at me in a display of profound reverence. Uncle Frank and I had a laugh at their expense and observed the family tradition of bashing them with sticks. Then, just as suddenly as he appeared, Uncle Frank was off again, into the lake, waving goodbye with his stone hands. Goodbye, Uncle Frank, we said. Goodbye, Frank said the thousands of spiders gliding gracefully down from pine boughs overhead. Thank you. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Very, very Thank nice. You. Very, very nice. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> As you think about your book, the second one, River City Five, mm -hmm. yeah. is there a target audience for that particular book? Uh, I think anybody who is open to, let's say, experiencing the book rather than understanding the book, if that makes sense. Um, it does. Flesh it out for yeah. me. I like that. Talk to me. Well, I think I would encourage readers to, as they're reading, to, to feel the poems rather than understand them. And then after they have felt the poem and under, understood the emotional response to the poem, then go in and see what meanings emerge from it. Mm. You actually stole one of my questions. And no, no question, way. <laughs> yes, you really did. <laughs> I, I ask if there was any advice that you would give a potential reader before reading the book, what would you share with them? And I think what you just said would be perfect to experience it. Say that one more time. I like that. I need to write it down. What did you say? Experience uh, I said, it. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope that they uh, ex read it with the intention of experiencing it rather than the intention of understanding it. And that once they have experienced it, then to search for that meaning, right? But I think the, the important part of it is to experience and to have uh, an emotional reaction to it. And then understanding is secondary to that. Okay. And once you do that, you have that emotional reaction, what are you supposed to do with that emotional reaction? 
How are you supposed to process it to feel? Well, that's a really good question that I don't know if I have an answer for. Uh, okay. You know, even even having written these poems, so having the firsthand emotional experience that, that I'm hoping is transferred by these poems, even having that firsthand experience, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I've been able to fully process uh, that myself yet. All right. And the reason I asked that, several weeks ago I had a guest, and we talked about empathy, and then he made the statement, a valid statement, then what's next? What do you do with it? Okay. How do you create some type of action out of it? What's supposed to be the end result, if there's an end result? And it just made me start thinking about that. So I didn't know what what the next step is after that. Well, I think... You know, I don't know. I'm not sure that I ever considered my poems to have a next step or a, a call wow. to action. I, I think the, I think the primary thing for me is mm-hmm. having that emotional response, and and that I think is an end in itself, and that's what builds uh, empathy and builds connection between people. Okay. Um, All right. And then I. Yeah, I think I think then those connections can result in uh, action, um, but, mm-hmm. but but the purpose of the poem is to create those. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. All right. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Derek Annis. Derek, please share a poem. Okay, let's go again to River City Fires. And I'll share Still Life with Razor Blades. Imagined a fishing line and cast it into the yard. He wore a cedar bark suit, and I gave him the last of my eggs wrapped in a feather boa. Here, I said, these are the last of my eggs. Matt mixed turpentine with whiskey and dipped his bad eye in it. We could tell it worked because the eye went lilac and lit up like a pinball machine. I had the only fingers on the block. Everyone wanted a pair. People wearing hats rode by on the backs of great magpies saying, beautiful weather today, neighbor, and the mouth of the mine has widened. Soon it will consume the earth. When night cut evening's throat to let the dark out, Matt and I sat on the patio under the white-blue floodlight. All around us the fish jumped. I smoked so much my teeth turned raisin and fell out of my mouth. In their porcelain bowl, the razor blades looked sweet as pears. Thank you. Wow. You know, I need a moment to 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 process your work. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, 
Read that one again. Read that one again. I also okay. ask people to read poems twice. Read that one again. I'd be happy to. I just have to find it again. Here it is. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, life with razor blades. Matt imagined a fishing line and cast it into the yard. He wore a cedar bark suit, and I gave him the last of my eggs wrapped in a feather boa. Here, I said, these are the last of my eggs. Matt mixed turpentine with whiskey and dipped his bad eye in it. We could tell it worked because the eye went lilac and lit up like a pinball machine. I had the only fingers on the block. Everyone wanted a pair. People wearing hats rode by on the backs of great magpies saying, beautiful weather today, neighbor, and the mouth of the mine has widened. Soon it will consume the earth. When night cut evening's throat to let the dark out, Matt and I sat on the patio under the white-blue floodlight. All around us, the fish jumped. I smoked so much, my teeth turned raisin and fell out of my mouth. In their porcelain bowl, the razor blades looked sweet as pears. And that's it. Wow. Wow. And what's the title again? Still Life with Razor Blades. Once I heard that title, Mm -hmm. I was afraid to move forward in terms of reading. If I was, I would have been afraid to move forward in terms of reading the the poem because mm-hmm. the title is so. I mean, it's it's so rich that I couldn't move uh, beyond it. I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, the title actually. Uh, I was really struggling to title this poem, um, mm-hmm. and I had a suggestion. Uh, from one of my workshop people that you can use um, still life or, uh, you know, landscape uh, as painters do to title their works. Um, And I just thought that last line, the porcelain bowl with razor blades, sweet as pears uh, Mm -hmm. was suited toward a still life title. Wow. You know those those paintings you see of bowls of fruit. Yes, yes. Yeah. Do you think, Derek, that a poem should be read aloud or experienced? Your word silently mm-hmm. on the page. Uh, y- yes, yes to both things. Um, yes to both. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you know, reading a poem on on the page, you can uh, enhance the effect. Or you can you can uh, see the effect of the line breaks and um, how each line break can change or multiply the meaning of the sentence that that the break happens within, right? So there are there are technical aspects of the poem that are not apparent to uh, listeners, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, when you read a poem out loud, you can uh, enunciate certain things differently. You can um, highlight things, you know, with, with your voice that might otherwise be, um, you know, take a back seat when read on the page, right? So the effect is going to be different for each approach, and each approach can reveal new things about the same poem.
All right. Derek, I'll be right back. The call dropped again. If you're out there in listener land, hang in there. when I cut out there this time. <laughs> oh, we were, we, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I've, this has ever happened. <laughs> they yeah, all dropped this many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, I thought, I thought maybe I was hitting a button with my cheek or something, so I'm now yeah. holding my phone out in front of me, but so that's not it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, though, it's, it kind of <laughs> reminds me of life, that regardless uh-huh. of the plans that you make, life happens anyway, Yeah, if that makes sense. It does. Oh, I know like it. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know I'm going to invite you to come back. You know that, right? So no, <laughs> don't worry great. about that. I, I would love to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out for 2024. Get you back on here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you talked about line breaks, which brings up what are some of the poetic devices that you usually employ in your work? Uh, I think the basic ones. Yeah, I think I think the the primary ones are sonic devices uh, and mm-hmm. per- particularly uh, consonants and assonance. Um, I think when I'm composing a poem. Mm-hmm. I follow sound more than I follow anything else. Uh, so, you know, and in following sound, uh, creating those um, mirrors between words, I think, you know, meaning emerges through uh, through following that too. So the, the sonic devices are, are a way of letting the poem guide me through the process of writing. You stole another one of my questions. I usually <laughs> ask <laughs> when writing a poem, who leads you or the poem? And well, no way to go. I, if it leads, talk to me. That's that's a tough question too. I would say that I let the poem lead. I mean, that's a claim that I have made many times, but. I'm not entirely sure that's the case, right? Like, I, I don't think the poem has its own mind or desires, you know, going a certain direction. I just think that I'm kind of, I guess, setting it on a path and seeing where it lands uh, rather than letting it lead me through anything, if that makes sense. It does. You know, you talked earlier about the importance of music in your world. Mm-hmm. So music, it seems, it does play a role in your poems, I would believe. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Tell me more about that. So does it play a role while writing the poem or after it's finished? When does when do you really focus on the musical piece? Oh, uh, during the writing, I think. Yeah, that's 
mostly my focus during during the writing process and then you know I'll go back and see if that can be enhanced in any way through revision most of my revision involves making cuts I don't generally add things to poems once they're finished uh, but I will cut things that aren't working so bringing those sonic devices closer together uh, sometimes makes a big difference um, but but yeah, I think it's usually in the process of writing uh, where I pay, focus on that music. So when writing River City Fires, talk about the editing process just a little bit more. You know, there's some people who believe that a poem is like a living creature, that once it's mm-hmm. out there, there's not much you can do to change or correct it. Well, others believe that you need to edit constantly to make sure that something is, I guess, as it should be. How do you feel about editing? Uh, I think that editing is an, uh, a process that doesn't end. In fact, mm. I, I've continued to edit poems after they are published. The edited versions will never see the light of day, uh, but I, I don't think a poem is ever complete. I think it can always be changed and enhanced in some way. Um, and most of my poems are pretty heavily edited, uh, but that editing again is mostly through cutting things from the poems rather than adding new things. Mm-hmm. You know, I could, I could start out with 400 words and, you know, knock it down to 50 uh, and end up with a poem that way. And then with the other 350, you save those for later. Yeah. Yeah. I always save the, the discarded parts of my revised poems. Um, and those can be useful to come back to if I'm stuck, uh, if I need a starting point for a new poem. Um, so I never really throw something away. I just set it aside for later use um, if that opportunity presents itself. All right. We're going to move into the, 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 my favorite part of the program, which is primarily a mini poetry concert. This is an opportunity for you to share four or five pieces of your work back-to-back without interruption from me. But what I'd first like to know, before you read these pieces, and you've talked about it, but I just want to flesh it out some more. What do you view, what do you think your work conveys about the human condition? Uh, I think it conveys that I suppose we move through uh, different spaces in terms of our emotional state and uh, abilities and all of that, um, and that there's no – how do I want to say this? You see? Mm, yeah. Well, you, you inhabit different – emotional spaces and they take on a kind of uh, physical presence in your life, um, mm-hmm. which I think is evident in both, both of my books, right? Uh, one is a neighborhood and one is the river city. Um, yes. So yeah, it's about the connection between yourself and where you live and how the emotional landscape, the internal emotional landscape uh, affects your relationship with your surroundings. Mm. Connecting with your readers, that's very important to you, it sounds like. Well, I think 
what's important to me is that the reader connects to the poem or that the, the poem helps the reader discover something or surprises the reader. I think the emotional response of the reader is important. Um, but I don't think about the reader when I'm writing okay, uh, or, or really okay. even when I'm revising. Uh, but I do know sort of that a poem will affect a reader in a certain way based on how it affects me, right? If, if I'm surprised in the writing, then the reader is more likely to be surprised. Uh, the reason I ask that, I've had guests in the past who made, who made the statement, I don't write for anybody, I write for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but as I listen to you, it sounds like you write with the reader in mind as well. Yeah, I, I write with connection in mind. I, yes. I try to enhance those connections. Um, but if I'm focusing on the reader while I'm writing, I think it uh, distracts me from the process. Okay. Right? Because then I'll be thinking about, well, does this line is this line going to make sense to a reader? Uh, is somebody going to connect with this, or is it you know too dramatic or or whatever? If I'm thinking about those concerns while writing, then I just get stuck. Um, so I think I focus on the process and trying to discover something new and trying to surprise myself. Mm -hmm. But through those uh, attempts, I'm hopefully also finding a, a way to connect with the reader. Very nice. Derek Annis, the stage mm -hmm. is yours. The stage is yours. Okay. So. <laughs> no interruption for me. All right. Let's see. I can... Find my next one here. Oh, you know what? I'll read the title poem from Neighborhood of Gray Houses. Okay, this poem is called Breaking. Here I am again on the flooded streets in the neighborhood of gray houses. Wind has torn the roofs away. Ah, oh, can you hear me? Can can you hear me? Okay, it looks I like can, I'm still I can connected. now. I can okay. now. I can so, now. Yes. Okay, I'll start over. Breaking. I am again on the flooded streets in the neighborhood of gray houses. Wind has torn the roofs away, lifted the children into trees with branches bare, twisted and splintered like bones. Water fills my boots. Look, there goes Lisa, floating by in her blue Geo Metro, turning the wheel to no avail, brake lights flashing like Christmas. There's no stopping her. I don't try. The top floor of my house is engulfed in flame. I save what I can, but can't find my signed books or any of the kittens. The sky is orange with an absence of birds. Smoke sings to my eyes. The old man across the street retrieves his collection of antique typewriters, the keys torn off and strewn across the lawn below the rising water. And look, there go all his letters right down the drain. 
I walked up the block. I walk up the block to join Justin and his murdering father and the rotting top half of his mother on their porch to drink whiskey from tippy cups. Justin's the same as he always was, 11 years old and perfectly comfy in the cold, seeing broken bits of his home, his home go under. We toast my burning house, takens jumping from the steps just for the splash. All right. Uh, speaking to the breeze. Frost on the lawn and the pond frozen over. All of my goldfish came out of hiding to die in the ice overnight. Pretty as they ever were, mother, still as precious stones in the museum, like my long memories of you, who dropped me off on grandparents' porch and ran to the gutter. How brightly you must have burned there, with rock, glass pipe, and a delicate ball of light cupped in your hands. Darkness slicked the asphalt with ice, drove it beneath the heels you wore, and yet you live. You live in a city so close to home, a living woman, buried and breathing. You have taught me, mother, how to pick myself up by my own stitches how to hold my daughter as if she were a small flame in my poems. All right. Uh, this one's called Everything Has a Face. I empathize with the oven, so tired in his black suit, standing beside the white dishwasher, and the white tiles behind them, tired of reflecting, collect grease, then dust. When the baby cries, I, the lucky one, lift her from the puddle of piss on her plastic mattress. She makes paste out of water crackers and applesauce on a plastic high chair tray glazed with spittle. I am here to rinse it down the disposal and to yell at the dog to get out of the goddamn kitchen. I might rub her tummy tonight while she sits on the couch beside me. There's another burned-out bulb in the bathroom. Another ruptured sack spills cat litter on yellow linoleum. I know why snow falls through light outside my window, but not from where falling comes. All right, moving into River City Fires. Oh, read uh, Disquasia. The city's encircled by fire, the ants are buzzing. I've acquired a rifle from the honeymaker's son who's late to the wedding again. Every time mother washes her hair down the drain, a plate of figs appears on my ottoman. They're sweet as children in a river of mud with their mouths open wide like baby birds on an autopsy table. Little fluorescent ribs smoke like a notion of home. I was there once, in the retina of a mouse, helpless as a horse on springs, dead man's face on the pillow next to mine. Nothing will ever taste as good as that. I've run out of ice. My spoons are losing blood.
Let's see. Uh, skin. I was a boy with curly brown hair. I had all my skin. I wore it under the stars like a white dress. I went to the field to lie in the tall grass. I carried a jar of eyes, wet noise against glass. The fire was miles away. I lay in the field with all my skin. Specks of ash fell from the sky, a film on my hair, my tongue. I held the jar of eyes like an infant, lifted its mouth to my breast, wet noise. After a time, the eyes grew teeth, bright noise of breaking glass. I could hear the fire grow close. I lay in the tall grass. The eyes bit into my skin like ticks, green and brown and full of blood. Glass like diamonds in my skin. Ash fell from the sky. All right, and I'll get one more in here. Go with uh, not or no. Let's go with sunk. This is sunk. I live at the river's edge, where the eyes open their mouths and tongue each other blind. My neighbor has mud on his legs, and his head is wet leather. He loves to mow his lawn. He loves to feed birds to the mower. My floorboards swell and split with heat. I have a knife on my hip, a shotgun tongue. The infants in the river never cry. Their little boats are made of gold. Thank you. Wow. You know, Derek, when I listen to you, I hear someone who has lived a life. Maybe a life lifetime, a weariness, I'm not going to label it sadness, (laughs) but what I'd like to know, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Is there a relationship? Um, Do you mean in terms of the way it sounds when I'm speaking versus when I'm reading? We Hmm. can go with that, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, I kind of zone out when I'm reading a poem, and oh, really? don't, I'm not oh, wow. aware. I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh wow! So, is that, yeah. So, sometimes I'm not even. I I have no recollection of reading it. I get pretty nervous reading poems in front of people or or over the air like this. So I think uh, I kind of dissociate through the reading, um, but. You know, I try not to do too much of the poet voice just because I've been uh, told by audience members that they don't like it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I tr- I try to make it as close to my speaking voice as possible while also kind of in- enhancing the sonic aspects where it's necessary. Um, but I'm not usually conscious of it. It, it just kind of happens. <laughs> okay, well... You know, I've heard a lot of voices over the years, and yours is extremely distinctive. Is there an audiobook coming out? There's not, but I've been encouraged to do such a thing, so I, I may in the future. Well, I joined that course 
There's just something haunting about your voice that needs to be heard to, Thank to you help so people much. experience the work. Yeah. Wow. Very, very I nice. appreciate that. Yes. I, I'm too old to say things I don't mean. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's, uh, no, I don't think people are meant to be things in general, right? I think okay. they gravita- gravitate towards things that interest them. And I was driven to poetry or drawn to poetry just by my life circumstances and my app. Uh, mm. But to say that I was meant to be a poet is to imply that somebody meant for me to be a poet. At least that's mm-hmm. how I read that question. And I don't think that's the case. Um, I think it it's just kind of an uh, accident of my circumstances. So then do you view your ability to write poet as a creative gift or a creative art? Uh, between those two, I would say creative art. I think it's... Uh, some maybe natural talent, but much, much more uh, work and attention and practice. Mm-hmm. So what surprises you, Derek, about being a poet? Um, gosh, I, I guess what surprised me most about being a poet is the power of poetry of my own poetry to help me discover things about myself and about the world. You know, when I first started writing, I was expecting to say things that I wanted to say, right. I had, Mm -hmm. I had points to make and I was going to make them. But the surprising thing was that, uh, discovering new things, uh, through the act of writing. Mm. You know, you stole another of my questions. (laughs) (laughs) You really did. (laughs) Because I had planned to ask you, (laughs) what do you think? It's a little different, but what do you think you learned about yourself writing River City Fires? Who are you as a result of writing that book? Um, I I think I'm more aware of my connection to the city that I live in uh, and more aware of how inhabiting this contradictory space, uh, a a space with contradictory emotions attached to it Mm -hmm. um, informs my internal uh, thought processes and uh, just my emotional state. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that is it. All right. All right. (laughs) Well, let me ask this question. We're almost done. We've almost reached the end of this this particular poetic journey. Okay. What's next for you? First though, where can we purchase River City Fires as well as your first book? Uh, both of those can be you can get a signed copy through my uh, website. It's just, you know, like a WordPress blog. If you just Google me, you'll find it. Um, let's see if I can 
pull up the address here. I have uh, yeah, it's just, me, actually. Okay, yeah, just DerekAnnis.wordpress.com. So, so both of those can be purchased as signed copies. You can get River City Fires through Driftwood Press uh, or pretty much anywhere books are sold. And you can get Neighborhood of Gray Houses through Lost Horse Press. Um, so, yeah. Where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively? Uh, well, I'm always kind of working on poems off and on. I'm, you know, I try not to force myself to write every day if I'm not feeling it, which I know is a mm-hmm. controversial statement. Uh, but I experience burnout pretty easily. Uh, and if I'm forcing myself to do a thing uh, day after day, um, it can become really tedious and turn me away from it. I'm yes, really cautious about cautious about not letting that happen with poetry. So uh, at this time, I haven't written since, you know, midsummer. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that that will pick back up again uh, whenever uh, I'm ready for it to. Um, but, you know, a, a more uh, succinct answer, I guess, is, I'm working on another collection. I don't know what collection or what shape that collection will take yet. I have a number of poems, but none of them fit together well enough to make a collection. So I'm just continuing to accumulate drafts and trying to go from there. But I'm, I'm not in a hurry. I'm, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with the idea of a book a decade or something like that. Oh, Uh, wow. I, I, I just... I want I want the poems to happen, and then you know if they become a book, that's great. You know, Derek, mm-hmm. there's something special about you, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. I don't always feel that way, so it's nice to hear. Yeah, there really is. There really is, and I plan to follow your career, your poetic career, oh, because thank you. I sense that it's going to be exceptionally bright. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate that. That's that's so nice of you to say. Well, I mean, tonight may have been a little rocky and disjointed and 18,000 other adjectives, but <laughs> no, that's okay. the meat was there, and I heard Good. it. The poems are rich. They just... They're not the norm. I really appreciate that. Those are really kind words. Yeah, well, that's, that's just how I feel. That's how I feel. So I wish you nothing but the best, and I would like you to return, and even if it's your next book 10 years from now, the former yeah. day. Okay. <laughs> if I'm still kicking. Great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would I – would, I would love to come back. I had a great time. It was really, really nice to talk to you. So, Well, and next time you come back, if there's anybody that you'd like to bring with you, bring those people too. And, oh, um, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we we can talk about that off air. But I great. want to hear more great. of your work. I just, there's something about you. Mm, it's just phenomenal. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And to the listening audience, every time we're together, I share the following words. Let poetry ring 
somewhere throughout the land. Take care, Derek. Thanks. You too. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.